You're listening to episode 57 of This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Joseph Gonzalez, youth pastor at Fremont Nazarene. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bowler-Jack, and I'm here with my guest, Joseph Gonzalez. He is the youth pastor over at Fremont Church of the Nazarene near Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah, so um, it is a pretty interesting story. Um, You know, most of my life, I've always felt like my story was kind of odd. Kind of unique um in a lot of ways i felt like i was invisible um mm. because of some of the experiences that i've had um but I, i've learned um especially as i become an adult that um you know we're all kind of misfits trying to find a place to fit in and um was really inspired by the movie the greatest showman when i watched it and realized like this is my story and mm. there's so many other people that um are looking for like a place of belonging and a place to fit in and to realize like when i tell my story that you know what i'm not so much of an oddity and I'm not invisible, but I actually have things in common with other people. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to tell it. Um, I grew up in North Platte, Nebraska, um, which is in the Western side of the state, kind of a smaller country town. Okay. Um, my mom was native American and grew up on the reservation. And my dad was uh, Mexican, was born in North Platte there. Um, his family immigrated in um, from Mexico. And so I kind of grew up confused about what my identity was because I had these three different identities. I was Native American, but I was also Mexican, but I was also Western Nebraskan. And so from like an early age, I had these sort of three voices Mm. um, in my life competing for who I was and trying to basically, you know, say that this was my identity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know really like who, you know, the audience of the podcast is. So I'll try to kind of avoid some insider language and stuff like that. But I didn't grow up in the church. So I didn't grow up in the church of the Nazarene. I don't have any family connections to the church of the Nazarene and I didn't grow up in church at all. So I didn't grow up um, in a family that um, followed any particular religion. Mm. Um, There were some, you know, religious influences and things in my family. Um, But I didn't really grow up with any sense of faith or anything around me. Um, So what I remember from my early age um, was that I lived a lifestyle of partying um, my family, my parents um, were really big partiers. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, my mom and her family, you know, also struggled with some of that as well. And so I just remember from an early age, my experiences were with my family, um, all night parties, um, lots of loud music, lots of drinking, um, people doing drugs, mm. um, and that was just sort of our lifestyle. So we would be up all night. Um, and we would do that and I would be in the other room, you know, watching cartoons or doing something like that while all this other stuff was taking place and can remember sort of the chaos of that. My dad being arrested a couple of times for drunk driving, um, police coming to our door because parties were too loud. I can remember fights where I had to go stay with my great grandma. Um, so I grew up in a family of chaos mm. and a lot of different things going on around me. But for me, that was my only foundation. 
um, my foundation was my mom and my dad, um, and my family was my foundation. So I didn't know that I was growing up in any sort of chaos or anything like that. I just thought it was normal to, you know, be up all night and then, you know, sleep in all day and wake up at five in the morning and do it, you know, five in the afternoon and do it again. So that's just what I kind of grew up with. Mm. Um, and that's what I remember. So, um, my early age, again, like just a lot of partying, a lot of chaos, a lot of craziness. Um, and that's just what was normal for me. So um, one thing I do remember, um, I used to, uh, my parents would let me, we didn't have a lot of boundaries in my home. So for me, it was normal to grow up watching like MTV, which MTV in the 90s was pretty crazy. So you saw some pretty wild stuff on there. Mm. Um, and so I would have these really like crazy nightmares. Um, when I was a kid and my mom had been seeing a, um, a, a missionary, I believe with the, uh, um, with a different, I'm trying to think of the name now, but, um, oh, with the uh, Jehovah's witnesses. So she had some sense of that. There was a God kind of knew about like a little bit of what Christian faith may have been. Mm-hmm. And so I would have these like just wild nightmares. And so she just happened to have this like holy water that had been blessed by a priest. Um, Cause we also had in my family, some Episcopalian tradition that we didn't really get into, but we knew it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can remember that um, one day after having just some really crazy nightmares, like I told my mom about it and she took this holy water and she put it on my forehead and said that God would protect me. And I didn't really know much about who God was, but I just understood that, you know, God was someone who would protect me and that God was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I kind of had this idea that God was safe and throughout my life, like that's something that sort of resonated and kind of come back um, as a theme. But um, my parents decided to go sober when I was seven years old. Um, My dad had been um, struggling, like I said, with alcoholism and um, didn't want to lose his job. He didn't want to lose his family. Um, And so he made a decision to go sober. And um, my mom went sober along with him. And so we began to kind of live a new life as a family. Um, But it changed a lot of things because my family, they had their routine of partying. They had their routine of drugs and alcohol. And that's kind of what helped them cope. And, you know, unlike, you know, at our church, we have a program called Celebrate Recovery, Mm -hmm. which is a support group for those who are coming out of addiction. Um, But my family, they quit pretty much cold turkey. And so they didn't have a support group around them. And so what I learned is um, when my family began to experience systems like um, symptoms of withdrawal, um, they didn't realize realize it at the time, but some of that stuff began to really come out on me. So I I experienced a lot of their anger, Mm. a lot of their frustration. And so my spirit um, from an early age was um, broken um, pretty quickly. And so I went from being a student who was, you know, very happy, very outgoing to somebody who was very broken. Um, I experienced bullying when I was in school um, from, you know, as early as first, second grade. Um, and that combined with my lack of confidence coming from my parents and sort of their own, you know, struggles that they were trying to work through and cope with. I just didn't have any sort of identity. Mm. Um, and so then I would feel kind of a pull of, you know, when I would um, want to be more Native American, or I was around my mom's side of the family, I would feel sort of a pull between all the different identities that I had. So if I got to be, you know, too close to my dad's family, I would feel like my mom's family sort of tugging at me. And when I would go either direction, then I had to figure out, well, how do I live 
um, in a Midwestern town that, you know, is predominantly white and has very different values. So I feel all these different values sort of tugging at me and pulling me in all these different directions. Yeah. Um, so from an early age, I was just very confused about who I was, um, didn't have any sense of where I was going. Um, I just knew that my family was really my only foundation. Um, and so I just kind of went with that and everything again, it just felt like it was normal. I didn't feel like um, anything was really wrong with me. It's just, this is my life and this is who I am. And, um, and so I kind of lived a life that, you know, the things that happened to me, I just felt like that's what I deserved. I, um, didn't have any other sense that, you know, I could aspire to be really anything else like this is just who I am. So, you know, when I would get bullied at school, I would just kind of deal with it and kind of just let it happen to me. I had no sense to really stick up for myself because I didn't know who I was. Um, and so I kind of lived my life that way. Um, I was very quiet, um, you know, mainly because I was afraid of my parents. Um, I was afraid of their withdrawals coming about and lashing out on me. So I became a very, you know, um, very private student um, at school. I didn't share much about my life. Um, I dared not to get into trouble because I was afraid of what would happen to me at home. Um, and so I just lived a life of fear. And most of my life, I've just been afraid. Um, afraid of consequences, afraid of punishment, and afraid of stepping out and being who I knew I could truly be. Um, and so I kind of lived that life all the way until um, I was in high school. Now, one thing I should mention is that my mom um, met a priest, um, an Episcopalian priest um, in our town of North Platte. And um, we started to go to church for a while. So we went to church for about a year. I remember I really liked it a lot. Um, I would go to Sunday school classes. And then I remember going to like the big service that we, they would have and we would take communion and you know, sometimes my family would go and, you know, we would all kind of be a part of it. And um, that was a really neat point in my life. Um, I really loved church. Again, I kind of felt safe there. Mm. Um, and I was baptized there. Um, and I remember how excited I was to be baptized. Um, I had practiced like all the, you know, the liturgy that we had to say, I practiced it over and over and over and knew exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, and I was really excited about that. Um, and then maybe a couple months later, the priest uh, moved on to a different uh, church. And so my mom and I and my dad, we decided, you know, not to go anymore. Mm. Um, and so that was pretty sad. But again, it just wasn't really something that was a rhythm in our lives. And so um, I guess at that time, it wasn't something we really needed. Um, and so kind of just kind of, you know, grew up from there, normal kid in high school and um, when it came to be, I was a freshman in high school, I noticed that my parents uh, began to fight more and more. Mm. Um, fights got a lot more tense. Um, by this time, I also had a brother in the picture as well. Um, and so these fights would get more and more tense. Um, they would get um, louder. And I would just kind of hide in my room. I'd put on some music and just kind of avoid it um, as much as I could. Um, yeah. Sometimes I kind of found myself yelling back at them because I was just trying to get some control of the situation. Um, and then I started hearing the word divorce. Um, and so my parents decided that they would divorce. Um, and I remember the day that that happened. It was a real breaking point in my life, kind of a watershed moment. Yeah. Um, I can remember, you know, my parents both setting me down. Um, my mom had met someone online um, who actually was um, from the Middle East. He was a Muslim man um, that she had just started talking to. And um, I remember just the anger and the pain and the confusion that I had. Um, 
I exploded in our house. Um, my dad had to physically restrain me um, because I had just gotten so emotionally out of control. I remember, you know, taking a baseball bat to our computer, just so angry about the situation that was happening and not understanding what was going on and knowing that things were going to be way different from now on. And um, I just remember that that just crushed me. Um, my, like I said, my foundation was my family. It's all I really had. And now all of a sudden that was being split up and I was going to have to learn how to live in a different way. So yeah. I pretty much spiraled out of control. Um, I was diagnosed with depression. Um, I started having, you know, suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, I can remember, you know, being up late at night as a teenager, um, you know, two or three in the morning and I would just be thinking about how great it would be if I wasn't alive. Mm. Um, I just wanted to, you know, for someone to reach out to me, to care about me, to acknowledge that it was okay. Um, and I just never really felt like um, I had um, someone in my life to do that. Yeah. And um, so I would just, you know, scream Christ for help. I would try to talk to people at school. Um, I felt like I was just this odd case that, you know, all these other kids are perfect and here I am and I'm completely messed up. Um, you know, my life's out of control. There's all this drama around me and um, I just didn't know what to do. So I just, like I said, I spiraled downhill. Um, I just completely crashed and, um, you know, I just, I didn't know what to do with my life. I had no direction. Um, you know, I remember I got into a fight at school. I ended up getting suspended from school. I was arrested um, and um, just all kinds of stuff, you know, began to happen. Um, so I just, again, I had no direction in my life. I had nothing really to lean on. I had no adults in my life. I had no mentors in my life and um, I didn't really know where to go. And so I just remembered it was really crazy. Um, but again, this sort of theme that God was safe. I remembered um, that I used to really like church. And um, I started going back to the Episcopal uh, church in our community um, that my family had gone to years and years past. And I used to go to this Thursday night chapel, um, which was hilarious because, you know, here was this 14 year old kid going to this chapel service where the next youngest person in there is, you know, 40, 50 years older than me. Um, they just, you know, thought it was great, but I loved it. I loved the routine of taking communion every week. Um, I loved the idea of just being in this building um, mm -hmm. because I just felt the presence of God. And yet I didn't understand anything about who God was. I had heard of Jesus before, um, didn't know really anything about him other than that, you know, he did some good things. He was a good person, but didn't really know anything about, you know, the Christian story or anything like that, but I just began to go to church. I began to get into the rhythms again of what I experienced, and I went there every week. Um, and I just remember starting to feel this sense of hope. Um, but one of the things that really, you know, st I struggled with was my family being um, um, like my dad having been an alcoholic. And then on the other side of my family, my mom's side of the family, um, just in Native American culture, alcoholism is a really big deal. So I experienced a lot of loss um, on my mom's side of the family. A lot of my relatives, um, I think I can count maybe six, have passed away from alcoholism. Oh, wow. um, I've had a lot of my relatives fall into drugs, into meth, um, into, you know, situations where they're now in prison. Um, and so I just, you know, I didn't have a lot of things going there where I could go in any of those directions. Um, 
but I really struggled with the idea of alcohol. And so if I knew somebody around me drank, um, I began to really close up. And so when the uh, priest at the church revealed that he uh, drank alcohol, my trust there began to break. Mm. Um, so that was a really big struggle for me. And when I look back on it now, I look at it at a very you know different perspective than I would back then. But just because I was beginning to learn how to establish trust, that was a really big breaking point for me. So I sort of stopped going to the church, um, no longer felt like it was safe um, for me. Um, just because of what I had experienced in my life and my own trauma. Um, but w- what was really neat was um, God wasn't going to let me go. Um, I was um, in a class with someone and I mentioned that I was going to church and happened to find out that a um, group of kids went to a youth group in town. Um, and um, when I started talking to them about it, they kind of laughed and said, well, why do you go, you know, you should come to this youth group that we go to. It's, it's really cool. We'd love to have you there. And I'm like, well, I've never really you know, been invited to a youth group before. I've heard of them, um, stuff like that, but I've never gone to anything like that. So these kids that I just met, um, they were connected to a local youth group in town. Um, That was a, um, you know, I'd love to say it was a Nazarene church. It wasn't. It was a, um, um, you know, I forget the denomination that it was, but it was a local church in the community. And that group of kids just loved me into the church. they spent time with me um, that summer. I really didn't have a whole lot of friends growing up. And so it was really amazing that anybody would reach out to me. Mm. Um, and so they would take me out fishing. We would hang out. We would go do stuff together. Um, they began talking to me in a way that I've never heard anyone talk to me before. Mm. Um, I had friends that were calling me a brother, um, you know, just a sense of safety that I've never had. And I, I can remember asking them, like, why is it that? Um, you guys would take me in. And that's when they started to tell me about Jesus. And um, I just remember thinking, if this Jesus is anything like the way that you guys are, I want to follow him too. Mm. Um, Because it was the first time in my life that I really had any sense of hope and that I could change my life, that I didn't have to live um, the life that I was living. And so being in this, you know, downward spiral and struggling with all these things. It was the first time I had any sense of hope that I could do something different, that I didn't have to end up like statistics say I was going to end up or, you know, the different patterns of my family, the way that all that was going, like I could do something different. I've never had that sense of hope before, but for the first time in my life, I realized I could do something different. And so Mm -hmm. I remember praying at my bedside, you know, asking for Jesus to come into my life and committing my life to him and you know, for the first time in my life, just getting the sense of hope um, that I now have a future, I can recover, I can rebuild. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be an easy journey. It was a very long journey um, and a journey that's still, you know, taking place and will always be, you know, happening. But um, all of a sudden I had a support group around me. I had people who loved me. I had, you know, a youth pastor who was investing in my life. I had, you know, mentors in my life that, you know, were beginning to talk to me and, I began to sort of live this new life of faith and began to um, deal with um, what I had experienced. And I can remember sitting on a bus with one of my friends who uh, went to youth group and um, I began telling him my story. It's one of the first times I've told anyone my story um, of what I experienced. And um, I remember his reaction afterwards and just him saying, that's incredible. Like, I cannot believe what you've been through. Um, 
and the things that you've seen and the things you've experienced, like you need to tell your story. And so that was the first time I think I remember feeling normal, um, that I was a human, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I had any sense of worth. And from there, I really began to sort of build my story. Um, it did get more difficult because I began to really experience the sense of emotions that came with it, a lot of anger. I had a lot of anger towards my mom. Um, I sympathized with my dad quite a bit. Um, it was a really tough just situation. And so I was very angry at my mom. Um, we didn't get along very well. My mom wasn't in a very healthy place herself. So there was just mm-hmm. a lot of tension. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to meet her new husband. Um, it was just very, very difficult for me to try to comprehend all that. But because I had this new foundation in Jesus, um, I managed to work through that to do the best I could. Um, you know, I was able to meet her husband, establish maybe, you know, a little bit of a relationship with him, um, have conversations with them both, um, and just be able to sort of get a grasp on my life. So I loved a youth group. Um, I went there every Sunday night. Um, I never missed anything that we did. Um, you know, the first month or so I was there, I joined their leadership team, which my youth pastor is really excited about, but he wanted to kind of explain like, you're new. I just want you to understand um, you know, what you're doing. I'm like, well, my friends are here. Um, I'm with them and I'm going to do, you know, whatever they're going to do. I'm excited about this and I'm, you know, I'm all in. Um, you know, I went to a conference very similar to our version of NYC um, that absolutely changed my life, um, really changed my perspective towards people um, mm-hmm. because I had this sense of hurt from people that I wanted to kind of push people out. Um, and I had this sort of renewed sense that all of a sudden I wanted to invite people back into my life. And so I was pretty well restored um, from that and sort of began my journey of healing. Um, I love youth group. And um, like I said, I was just, I mean, I just, I was safe there and I was growing and, but you know, I had just joined it when I was a junior in high school. So we needed to start thinking about college. Um, and I had really no idea what I wanted to do Um, I was involved in theater at the time at the high school, so I kind of looked at something like that. Um, But I remember looking at all these colleges, and I had so many options of colleges I could go to, and I would look at all the different majors, and um, nothing ever interested me. Um, Mm -hmm. I could look at a major and be like, well, I could do that. Like, I know I could do something like that, but I just didn't feel passionate about it. But every time I began to look at uh, ministry majors or the idea of being a pastor, like my heart started to really come alive, but I didn't feel like that was something I could ever do. Mm. I knew my family would never approve of it. um, And I just never felt like that was an option for me as much as I wanted to do it. Um, But I guess God had, you know, something way different in store. Um, I had met a friend who um, went to a Nazarene church in town and she invited me to come to her youth group. It happened to be on a different day. So I got to meet a different, you know, community of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were really great. Um, got to hang out with them and meet with them. And um, and so, but my, you know, main youth group was on Sunday night and that was my main community. Um, but when I was a senior in high school, um, I learned that my youth pastor was moving. Um, and I knew that the church would never be the same. The youth mm-hmm. ministry would never be the same. And I was going to need to leave as well because I was about to graduate. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of found myself in a place where I was lost. And a lot of our, my friends, we all felt very lost because our connection was here. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really know what to do. And so I 
you know, signed up to go to a university here um, in the area. And, um, and I went um, to be a communications major and within three days I dropped out um, because I realized I wasn't ready at all um, to handle the transition of leaving. Um, I didn't know how I was gonna handle becoming an adult. Like I didn't realize how far behind I was in some of the skills that I needed. Mm. Um, and so I went back home um, with some of my friends who stayed back home and um, started taking some community college classes until I could figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I got connected again to the Nazarene church um, that I had gone to just a little bit. Um, they had actually asked me if I would help their youth group. Um, and I said, yes, one of my best friends was asked to help lead it. And so I said, yeah, it sounds like an adventure. I'll do it. Mm. And, um, I loved it. It was difficult. I was, you know, 18 year old kid trying to lead teenagers and probably wasn't the best setup. Right. Uh, definitely learned a lot from it, had a lot of fun with it, definitely a lot of struggle with it. Um, but what I noticed is that my heart was becoming very passionate um, for ministry and for working with youth. Mm. And I was very excited that the Nazarene church there had accepted me, had believed in me to become a minister. Um, they had given me a local minister's license. And that's when I really began to think about maybe I should go into the ministry. Um, my parents were not okay with it. Um, said, I'm not going to make any money, not going to be successful. Um, but I was very determined. I felt like um, through, you know, volunteering at this youth group that, you know, God was calling me into ministry. And specifically, I wanted to work with youth um, because of the troubled life that I had as a teenager myself. And um, I just took a really big step of faith. As I said, when I would look at colleges, um, when I looked at ministry majors, my heart just started going. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, I can remember my friends who also went to the Nazarene church there ended up going to a school called Southern Nazarene University. Mm. And it was in Oklahoma City. I've never been to Oklahoma. I've never been in the South. I don't know anything about Southern culture. I don't know anything about Oklahoma. Um, I just got involved in the Nazarene church, but all I knew is that my friends were going there. And once they said that um, they could see me going as well, I was sold. Yeah. Um, and I knew that's where I was going to go because that's where my safety was. And so um, I ended up going to SNU um, as a ministry major um, because I was uh, in community college classes. I transferred in. So I wasn't an intern in the program there, but I was, you know, involved at a church there. Um, and um, that's when things kind of fell apart again. Mm. Um, I didn't realize um, how much reconciliation needed to happen in my life. Um, so when I started taking classes and I started to um, start new friendships with people, I was in a place that was, the tradition was very different. Um, people were coming out of backgrounds where they had been in church all their lives. Um, they were coming out of stable homes. They were coming out of um, all kinds of different things. And I didn't know how to relate to people um, because I had closed myself off from so many things that um, it was just so overwhelming. And I didn't realize that um, my depression had come back um, and that I was still struggling with that. It was something I thought I had defeated and I thought was in my past. And um, all of that sort of just came to a breaking point where my friends had pointed out to me that my emotions would be, you know, really high one day, then they'd be really low one day. Um, and, it, and they finally had to break down and tell me that I needed to really look into counseling. Hmm. Um, and I kind of had the sense too, 
um, to look into counseling. Um, and so I went and, um, you know, one of the people I really wanted to talk about in this podcast is just one of my heroes. Um, she's the director of counseling at SNU. Her name's Kimberly Campbell. Mm. Um, Kimberly took me in um, from the first session that we had. And um, I knew immediately that there was some kind of connection there. Um, and I didn't understand what it was that I needed. I just knew that I connected with her. And, um, you know, it was really her that set my life going in the right direction. Um, the foundation was there, um, but I didn't realize like how much I needed to work on um, to be able to relate to people, to be able to overcome trauma um, that I had experienced. I didn't even know I had trauma. I didn't know I had anything um, that was going on. I wasn't aware of anything in my life. I didn't realize that all the stuff I had been through all the fear that I had lived out and all of the uh, pain that I had was all locked in. And I didn't realize I held all that in. Yeah. Um, and so what Kimberly did was establish a safe place for me to really let that out. And it was difficult. Um, that was probably the toughest thing I've ever done in my life was mm -hmm. to go through counseling and to be able to face things, to be able to reconcile with my mom, which that was a very, very tense thing to do. Um, yeah to be able to open up to people. Like I, I feel like I struggled at SNU. Like when I look back on it, um, I don't know that I really know anyone um, from SNU um, other than Kimberly. You know, I have some friends that I keep in contact with, but I wasn't in a place where I could really open up to professors or I could open up to other students or, mm -hmm. uh, and so I look back on that and I realized that, you know, I didn't really get a chance to to meet anyone. I didn't really get a chance to know anyone. Um, but I'm so thankful for, you know, just the healing that I experienced there and um, thankful for everyone who tried to invest in me and um, definitely did invest in me and um, all of that. But yeah, Kimberly um, changed my life and she taught me the skills that I needed to be able to have connections with people, um, to be able to minister to people, but most importantly, to be able to love who I was, mm. um, to understand who I was, to understand that I had an identity. Um, and so I'm just forever grateful for what she did um, and how she was used to just um, minister to me. So pretty much from there, that's been my call to ministry um, is I learned so many things in that room. Um, you know, just in her office about how to be a minister. Um, I'm not saying I didn't learn anything at SNU. I learned so many things from our classes. Um, I learned so many things from other students. I learned things from my ministry experience. But uh, Kim Campbell is the person that taught me how to be a pastor and, um, and really just affirmed my call into ministry and just um, kind of made me the person that I am. So I'm really excited to just be able to kind of share that and um, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's such an amazing story. Um, man, I have so many questions now just from, sure. from hearing your story, but, uh, let, let me ask you a more practical one. Yeah. Um, if there was a young minister in the church of the Nazarene who was either still in college or just out of college and just wrestling through life, and they're nervous about going to counseling, going to therapy. What would you What would you say to that person? What advice would you give them? I would tell them that I understand. 
Mm -hmm. um, I would tell them that it's normal um, to have all of those feelings and to be struggling because it's something you should struggle with. Um, it shouldn't be an easy decision to go to a counselor. I mean, it's something that um, you have to really be able to look deep inside of you and to be able to um, to know um, that you need help. And that's a hard thing. Um, I think in our culture, we're taught not to ask for help. I think we're taught that it's not okay to ask for help. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing that beginning to change. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I would definitely, you know, tell them that it's, it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to realize that we've all been hurt. It's okay to realize that a lot of us, we've all dealt with trauma, um, that it's normal. It makes sense. Um, you know, I can think back to when I was there, I struggled um, as a young minister. Um, I struggled with, you know, being in the church of the Nazarene. I've struggled in ways that lots of young ministers have struggled with in the ordination process. I've struggled with, um, you know, transition in the church of the Nazarene. I've seen all of it. Um, and I went through a period of myself of questioning, you know, whether this was the denomination that, you know, I was meant to be a part of or if I should you know, look elsewhere. And I think that's a, I think that's something that we all have to decide Yeah. for a lot of us. You know, we grow up in the church. Some of us, like I said, myself, I didn't grow up in the church, but I still face the same decision that I think we have to make a choice um, yeah. whether or not this is what we intend to minister. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, it's a journey that's worthwhile. Um, it's a painful journey, but I think to be able to understand who you are, and to be able to experience that healing, especially as a minister, um, will allow for you to be a person of healing for others. Mm. Um, if you haven't been able to deal with the trauma um, that you've experienced, um, you will pass that trauma on to other people, whether you realize it or not. Oh, and that's yes. one thing I learned, um, is that as I was dealing with my trauma, I would shut people out. I have mm. friends that I shut out um, because they did something that a family member did or um, because I, I didn't know if I could trust them or not. or if be, And so I put up these really strong boundaries mm. of protection. And it's something that my counselor told me was one of my greatest strengths and also one of my greatest weaknesses. Mm. Um, and something she told me that really stuck out to me was sometimes the ways that I try to protect myself end up being the ways that actually hurt me the most. Mm. And that's something that's really stuck with me. Um, so for anyone that's, you know, looking for, you know, a place of healing, um, go for it. Um, you won't regret it. Um, and it, you know, will transform your life and it'll make you, um, you know, I think it'll bring you closer to the person that God wants you to be. Mm, that's so wise. Um, so kind of getting back into the story, how did you get from... SNU to where you are now. What's the what's the story there? Yeah, um, so I was an intern at a local church there in uh, Bethany, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, kind of a small church there, um, and um, got connected because some of my friends again had went there. Um, I was an intern there for two years um, until they went through a pastoral transition, um, and um, both the pastor and the youth pastor had moved on, mm. and um, I was asked to. Um, become the youth pastor there. So I went ahead and took the job. Um, learned after about two years, probably wasn't the best fit for me. I learned a lot from there, but long-term wasn't the place that I was meant to be. 
Sure. Um, and I kind of came out of that very confused. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just with some of the things that happened in the transition were painful. Yeah. Um, things that, you know, just wasn't prepared to deal with, to handle, didn't know how to handle. Um, and on another side note with that, like I was not healthy. Mm. Um, I was in a place where, um, you know, I was still in my sense of healing, but I wasn't at a point yet where I felt like I had sort of finished that journey. So I was very unhealthy. Um, I was very overweight. Um, and so my eating habits, my life habits, everything was very poor. So I wasn't very poor health. Um, I had been diagnosed as pre-diabetic, um, mm. something again, in native American culture is very prevalent. Mm. Um, and so I just wasn't again, a person that I, I felt like people could relate to. Um, and I didn't know how to relate to others. And so I, I appreciate, um, you know, that time in my life, as, as hard as it is to look back on it, I learned a lot from there. And it, it was just, it was a warning sign for me that I needed to change. Mm. Um, that's not the person I wanted to become. But I came out of that very hurt, um, very angry, um, thought about leaving the Church of the Nazarene, um, mm. thought about, you know, exploring some different options, um, ended up working at a group home in Kansas City, um, where I met a friend who also was sort of drifting from the Church of the Nazarene. Um, and funny enough, we're both now, you know, youth pastors in the church in the Nazarene, so <laughs> God brought us back. But um, just that's where I kind of begin my journey of, I realize now that after I've left counseling that I have these skills, I have this confidence, I know who I am. And so I just began really to live life, um, began to seek out what is it that God has for me, if it's meant for me still to be a minister, um, if there's something else there. I looked at becoming a counselor. Um, I was accepted into a school in Seattle um, for counseling, oh, wow. um, and I was really excited about that. Um, but even my um, recruiter at the school told me that, you know, even though you're being accepted into the counseling program, I still think you're meant to be a minister. Oh, wow. And so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, remember on the flight home from Seattle that I just didn't feel like that was the place I wanted to be as much as I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, ended up at the group home that I was talking about that I worked at um, and then got an internship at a college church of the Nazarene in Olathe, Kansas, um, mm -hmm. working in the bus ministry there. Um, and there I really gained my confidence to be a youth pastor again. I realized that I needed to convince one more person in my life to that I could be a youth pastor. And that was myself. And so mm -hmm. I was very grateful for the experience I had there um, and the lessons that I learned and just to get the confidence. Um, a really tough transitional time um, to be able to, you know, just become again this person that I knew I was. And um, church in uh, Fremont, Nebraska, the one that I'm at now, got a hold of me, saw my resume, and um, originally they wanted a full-time youth pastor slash worship leader. Hmm. Um, I can't hold a tune in my life, so <laughs> I can't play guitar, but I can't sing. I can be a youth pastor, but I don't know how to sing. So told them that, and you know, they said you know, we'd love to keep you on the radar if we ever decide to make this a full-time position. I'm like, well, that's awesome. I don't know that that would actually ever happen, but that's amazing that you guys would do that. I would love to come home. Um, I've always had it in my heart that I wanted to come back to Nebraska at some point hmm. um, because I understand Nebraska. Nebraska is a very unique place. Um, it's a unique culture. It's got unique traditions and just being a part of it growing up, I can understand, um, you know, some of what's going on, but it's always been a dream of mine to come back and help youth um, that have gone through similar things that I have gone through hmm. in a very similar context. And so 
couple months later, uh, Pastor Aaron Horton, um, who's an amazing individual, amazing pastor, and definitely another hero of mine, um, called me up and said, we've decided that we want a full-time youth pastor and we want you to look at it. Um, and so I felt God calling me. Um, I loved where I was at in Olathe. Um, that was a great job to have. Um, but I felt God say that if you follow me to Fremont, I will be here. Wow. And felt in my heart that this is my shot. I've always wanted to be a full-time youth pastor. Um, here's a church here that believes I can be a full-time youth pastor and I'm going to take it. Mm. Um, so I came here, interviewed, and um, here I am. <laughs> so That's awesome. Um, tell me about the, the practical things of being there. What's, what's the church like? What's your role like? Yeah. Um, Fremont has really restored my hope in not only the world, but um, even just the Church of the Nazarene. Mm. Uh, I'm really excited about the context we have here because um, it is a very different culture um, than what I've experienced in um, other places that I've been. Um, but here, the foundation of the Church of the Nazarene is present, but the people who attend our congregation um, aren't necessarily connected to some of the Church of the Nazarene traditions. And so we have a congregation here of many people that are new to the church. Um, we have different programs like recovery programs that have brought people into the church. We have different multicultural backgrounds of people coming to the church. Hmm. Um, and one of the most exciting things for me, it's, it's just a very rugged church. It's, um, it's a church that it's, it's the Midwest. It's just Midwestern culture. Um, you know, it's, it's just very, um, very exciting to be a part of. And so with our youth ministry, um, we started the youth ministry here and, um, our group, um, that came in, we're actually right across the street from our middle school. Um, and we just opened the doors of the church to students to say that, you know, here's a place where you can come and hang out. And within a few months, we would have on Wednesdays, you know, 40, 50 students who would come over from the middle school because they knew this was a safe place. And it was really exciting because most of these students had never gone to church before. And so when I would talk to them, I realized, you know, I'm talking to myself. Hmm. I'm talking to that student, you know, that I was back then. And it really just, you know, speaks to me because I'm, I'm doing what I needed in my life. When I talked about how I needed a mentor in my, you know, darkest times in my life, how I needed someone to reach out to me, um, to be able just to normalize me, to be able to hear my story, to be able to advocate for me, to be able to um, be there when I needed someone. Um, you know, it just was so amazing for me to see these students coming in through the doors and to be able to be the person that I needed for myself. Mm. And so it's amazing. Um, with that comes a lot of different issues. Um, Nebraska, small towns struggle with drugs. Um, a lot of families have been affected by meth. Mm. Um, there isn't a lot to do in Fremont. Um, so, you know, there are just different strands of darkness that happen in our town. Um, so to be able to be light in this community um, has been really amazing. Um, it's been amazing to get involved in the community. We're a church that's very, very involved in our community. Um, we have built trust with lots of our local organizations. We've partnered with them. Um, there are organizations that continuously choose us to host events. Um, we're really um, 
involved in issues of justice in our community. Um, we're, you know, consistently, you know, bringing in voices into our community to speak. Mm -hmm. um, we identify issues, we bring people together. And it's just been amazing to see that um, happen in the Fremont community. Um, so for me, it's just a sense of hope um, and just amazing thing to be a part of, to realize that, you know, the kingdom can happen here in a small town in Nebraska um, and that it can be very clear and very vivid and very beautiful. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. It just sounds incredible. Um, tell me more about where you see the, the kingdom breaking in. Tell me a few stories. I know you, you kind of mentioned justice and what, I'm curious what that looks like for you guys. We live in a community that um, a lot of Nebraska communities are very diverse. Um, it's an agricultural community. And so you have um, um, industries where you have a lot of immigration coming in to the town. And so in Fremont, we have a very large Hispanic population. Um, and what I've noticed um, since we started the youth ministry here, um, we have had our youth group um, become probably about half Hispanic. Oh, wow. um, and what I'm really excited about that is um, we have a very blended youth ministry and a very blended culture. Um, and what I'm excited about is I have students of different races coming together to be a part of the kingdom um, that are willing to discuss race, that are willing to tell their stories of what they experience at the school, hmm. what they experience in the community, um, maybe because of their race. And I have other students that want to learn about it, that recognize that um, you know, they haven't experienced what others have experienced, but they're willing to listen. They want to know more. They want to know how they can be different. And through that, I've seen a church that is willing to listen, that is willing to be supportive, that, you know, loves this youth community, um, that has been opened up to issues that have been going on in the community that have looked at it, you know, from a very different perspective. Um, and through that, we've been able to discover that we're all human. We're all God's creation. Um, and that the kingdom is breaking through and that the kingdom is a place to find our identity. So I talked about kind of at the beginning, a friend of mine recently told me that, you know, when I was explaining some of the things that I've been through, um, that she didn't understand how to even grasp my story because of this concept that I was tricultural. Mm. And I've never heard that before. I've never thought about it before, but I mentioned at the very beginning of the of the podcast that I grew up Native American, I grew up Mexican, and I grew up Western Nebraskan. And I've always struggled with this sort of identity confusion of, you know, am I Native American enough? Am I Mexican enough? Am I Nebraskan enough? And these voices would sort of fight for, you know, my identity. Hmm. It was tough because when I identified Native American, we realized that we were such an invisible people. And I would tell people that, you know, when I tell them that I'm Native American, I get a sense that like people don't know how to relate to me because it's like I'm straight out of the history books. Mm. Nobody really knows that there are reservations still present, that there are groups of people on the reservation, that the culture is still very much alive, but very invisible. Yeah. And so I can remember even as a kid, um, me and my cousins would sometimes pretend to be Mexican because it would make us more visible. Mm. Um, and it's sad to think about it. And I'm not, you know, shaming either culture, but it was just sad to think about that we would um, turn away from our own culture. Um, but that was sort of, in, in my town, sort of encouraged if you wanted to survive, like you had to adapt the culture there. Um, and so I didn't understand um, 
who I was. But when I realized that the kingdom had become my, my identity, that Jesus was now my identity, um, what I have seen is people coming together under the banner of the kingdom mm. from all different types of affiliations, all different types of races, all different types of backgrounds, um, because they have been able to recognize that not only do they have a story, but their story is now a part of the kingdom. Mm. And for me, it's just been beautiful to see that and to hear stories from students that have found a place of healing. Um, I had a student tell me, um, who's just a ninth grader, um, about how, um, you know, she had gone through an experience that I had gone through that she had been trying to kill herself, mm. that she had been, you know, putting herself in the hospital through, you know, different methods, um, just as a way of crying out, like just a way of just recognizing that she just didn't know what to do with her life. And um, when she had found our youth group here, found her sense of purpose, um, mm. realized that her family had been putting this purpose into her and it was all able to kind of come together here. And, you know, just to see her faith come alive has been really amazing. Mm. I mean, we just have all kinds of stories like that. Um, and for me, just again, just it reveals to me the kingdom. The kingdom is at work. Um, and just for me personally, that youth ministry is still at work. I came out of college um, hearing a lot of different voices in youth ministry saying that youth ministry was dying. Mm. Um, saying that youth ministries are no longer effective mm. um, we needed to begin looking at different methods and while I agree with some of that um, I am also somebody who wasn't supposed to be where I am that statistics said I wouldn't be here mm. that statistics said I was gonna fail and so I've had sort of a chip on my shoulder to also say that youth ministry is still effective yeah. it is still a place that youth are finding the kingdom that we shouldn't abandon it, that youth pastors still very much have a role in a future in the Church of the Nazarene and the church as a whole. Um, and so I've really been excited to be a part of something to say that um, that it's still alive, that the church is still alive because Jesus is still alive. So, mm. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm curious what you might, what advice you might have for a young youth pastor who's youth group is in a diverse community, but whose youth group itself is not diverse. How might you coach that young pastor to, to navigate that? Um, take a liking to coffee. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in um, Kansas City and um, the church I was at, um, one of the things I noticed about the church there was it had very four very distinct youth groups. There was a middle school group, a high school group, a Hispanic ministry group, and then our bus ministry group were all very siloed youth groups in the community in mm. that church. Yeah. And um, I had become the pastor there for the bus ministry and had gotten to know the kids there and noticed that most of the kids coming on the bus were uh, minority cultures. Um, and then the students at the church were, you know, predominantly, you know, from white backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to know you know, students from all the different, you know, groups there and um, had another similar experience to share my story um, and found that I was sort of in, in all these different places. So I just learned to be a presence um, in mm -hmm. different communities myself. And um, I began to merge those groups together um, through some experiences that we would have. I began to ask kids from the youth groups to ride the buses um, 
which, you know, was pretty tough at first. Um, you know, there was a lot of clashing and things like that. Um, but then I would just invite students to go to coffee. Um, kids always love free food, love free coffee. They're not sure. going to stay there. And so they would show up and realize that, you know, there were people there that were different. And so it'd be very tense at first because, you know, everyone's learning and they trust each other. Mm. And through those experiences, they would realize they just had things in common. Um, and then all of a sudden you had friendships forming um, that you just never would have imagined. And so I think what it takes for stuff for that to happen is common experience. Mm. Um, it's difficult. Um, you will open up. Um, there will be wounds that are opened up. Um, there is pain that will be happening, but it's important. If there's anything I've learned in my journey is that we have to be allowed to release their pain. Hmm. Um, and we have to be willing to share the pain um, with others, um, just like God shares our pain. Um, I, you know, I'm, I really believe that God, you know, understands the pain that we have. Um, and it's okay for us to be able to release that pain and to release that hurt that we have. And so I just would tell a young minister that it's possible um, that the, the kingdom, you know, that's what the kingdom looks like um, or experiences that bring us together. So um, for me, it just all starts over a cup of coffee um, or whatever else, you know, method that you would choose, but common experiences can bring people together. That's great. That's great. Um, well, Joe, the last question I ask everybody is, and I know you've touched on this a little bit here and there, but what what gives you hope for the future of the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? When I look back on it, um, like I said, we all, I think, all ministers need to make a decision if this is the place where we need to be. Um, I think it's just a personal dilemma that we all face. Um, when I look at the Church of the Nazarene, what I see is a blank canvas. Mm. And with the canvas, there's a foundation. And there's a foundation that's been built in our tradition. We have a very strong tradition. Um, we have a tradition that I believe is willing to listen, um, that is willing to learn, mm. that is willing to adapt. And um, I've seen a tradition that has endured, um, that has recovered. Um, and so I'm really excited to see that foundation being built. Um, but on that foundation, I have seen a church that I believe has an answer to our culture right now. Mm -hmm. um, with the divisiveness in our culture um, and the Church of the Nazarene search for a middle ground and a middle way. You know, I believe it's the perfect answer um, for what our culture is looking for. Yeah. Um, and I see so much hope um, in our church um, seeing new people without the, you know, the tradition coming to our church because they know it's a place of belonging. Hmm. And here I've been so empowered to, you know, learn new skills, to be creative, to do new things in youth ministry, um, to really explore what we need to do um, with our youth and our families and our church, um, that I just feel so empowered. Um, especially as a young minister, I feel like I have a canvas in front of me and I can help be a part of creating a new future. Hmm. And for me, like, I'm not someone that, I don't do well when someone there is directing me and telling me what to do. Um, I'm someone that I like to be creative. I like to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Um, and so being able to know that there's a blank canvas out there, that the foundation is set for us and we can create the future um, is really exciting to me. Mm. Um, and again, to see 
um, new families coming in to see people without, you know, the background coming in and learning how to be not only, you know, Nazarenes, but being followers of Jesus. Um, I know there's a hope and a future for this church. And I've just met so many great people um, that have been willing to invest in my life. I can think about all the pastors I've had, um, ministers that I've worked for, mm-hmm. interns that I've been along with, classmates that I've had, counselors that I've had, um, people I've met in the church, families I've met in the church. Like I have met some of the best people in the church of the Nazarene. And they're a church that hasn't been willing to give up on me. Um, and so I'm not willing to give up on it. Um oh. And so I'm very thankful um, just to have the experiences I've had and that it's been a place that's allowed me to tell my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church will continue to let us tell our story. Um, it'll continue to have a future. So I'm excited. Um, again, I just see a really bright future for the church. And I think it's definitely something we're sticking with. Oh, well, thank you for sticking with it. I think you have... Um so much to say and so much to offer and i i appreciate being a colleague of yours and, and being alongside you on the journey absolutely thank you well if um if somebody wanted to follow up with you where could they reach you how could they find you there's a couple of different ways um on facebook um they can find me under joseph gonzalez um, should be connected with fremont nazarene church um, they can also email me at pastorjoe at fremontnazarene.org. Um, they can also find me on Instagram at heythejoe, H-E-Y-T-H-E-J-O-E. That's awesome. Th- thanks so much for taking time out of your day to be on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Britt.